Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we connect with learn from and pull inspiration from other entrepreneurs, online business owners and remote employees from around the world. Very excited to bring you today's episode. Our guest has a wealth of knowledge in both building businesses and managing online teams. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss how Jonathan has built multiple online businesses and service offerings while traveling the world. He also manages remote teams but has a little bit of a different approach with actual physical offices in the United States, UK and India. And we're going to dig into some real actionable business advice that often gets neglected or looked over in the digital nomad community. And we're going to discuss why it's so important to lay a solid foundation for your business. I met Jonathan back in, I think it was 2015 at the Brighton SEO conference. And we hit it off because we were in, uh, we were both in the same group. Uh, which is full of UK SEOs, and we all went out for dinner together and met up. Hello, Jonathan. How is everything? Hey, Adam. Everything's going very well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to come on and be a guest and I suppose share your story and your experience. You have quite a unique business. Um, you have offices in three countries, and you offer a range of uh, digital marketing services to your clients. So I think it's going to be an interesting interview. You have a lot of insight um, on both building businesses, but also managing teams and, and remote employees. So I'm glad to get into it. Why don't you give us a wee bit of an introduction to yourself and your businesses and you know your service offerings? Sure, absolutely. So as, you, as you've so eloquently said, my name is Jonathan Kickbush. I, um, I operate uh, a couple of different brands in the digital marketing space. Um, I operate... The, the, the most well-known of my brands is called seobutler.com, um, which is essentially the almost a wholesale operation to marketers and marketing agencies alike. So essentially what we do is we supply marketers with the tools and services and products that they need to run their campaigns, no matter if they're in the client space or the, uh, the affiliate marketing space. We also have another company called I2W, which is sort of our umbrella. And I2W works uh, directly with other businesses to help them with their marketing efforts. Um, we, we usually work sort of with larger corporates in the US, in the UK, in Canada, in Australia, um, pretty much everywhere where English is the main spoken and written language. So, you know, my, my journey into the internet marketing space has actually been quite I, I want to say quite an unorthodox one um, because I, I, I never really saw myself going into it. I was always interested in business and in sales. I, I, I pretty much stumbled upon this, to be honest with you. When I met you first, you had a security firm, wasn't that correct? That's right. And that was like a legit you know, physical business, if you will, as opposed to a purely online business. So you know, that was when I first met you, that's what you were doing. Exactly. So when, you know, I'm, I'm actually born and brought up in Germany, which I hide extremely well. Um, but I, um, when I moved to the UK, uh, which is now about nine, nine and a half years ago, I actually started in a usability company as a sales director. 
And my role in that business was to manage the sales for this usability testing company all over Europe. I did that for one and a half years and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was the reason why I moved to the UK. After one and a half years, they made me redundant because this was at the end of 2008 and the the tech bubble in the US, well, the, the, the housing bubble in the US had burst and all the money was sucked out of the European business by the American counterpart. Long story short, I was really fed up. I didn't really want to work in the online or sales space anymore. And so I somehow decided I was going to found a um, security business. And I did that for three years. We did everything from covering retail operations. So, you know, having guards in, in jewelry shops and stuff like that, to doing events, to doing surveillance and to doing bodyguarding. It was towards the end of the three years of doing the uh, of running the security business that I, I came across a guy called Luke, who ended up being my business partner in this business. We started just looking for opportunities online, and you know we we tried to build an SEO agency to begin with, but we were both really really green, and so we failed miserably initially. To be honest with you, you know we we didn't know how to sell the product, we didn't know how to provide the service correctly, so it failed. And all of, you know all along that time, I was still operating the security business, and then we came across a, a couple of Facebook groups, and all of those Facebook groups were all around PBN building, actually. So, you know, building private blog networks, which people were using to manipulate the Google rankings and and improve their SEO. And I thought, wow, that's really fascinating. And so I just started observing those groups. And I started um, noticing that there was a trend in the requirements from people. And one of the main requirements at that time was getting cheap, reliable, unique content in volume to build out your PBNs because you needed a ton of content. We launched our first brand, which was Article Writing Ninja um, at the time. That was literally all predicated around selling um, cheap content that was written in the Philippines that you know we could just churn out at volume by hiring virtual assistants over there. That took off overnight really aggressively just by us posting in Facebook groups and people sort of loving the fact that rather than having to deal with 10 individual Filipino VAs, they could just deal with us as a single entity and place their order, you know, that would usually go out to 10 different to ten different people. We realized, though, that it was really unsustainable because they would be really unreliable, the quality would be unreliable, and we wouldn't really have an edge. So what we introduced was a really special service, which is what uh, where we, we introduced our edited Filipino content. So what we did is we hired a couple of American college students to proofread the content that was written in the Philippines and to just give it sort of like a five minute overhaul, right? And because they were just proofreading and they were not actually writing it from scratch, it meant that we could pay them next to nothing per article, but it would still improve the quality of that article significantly. And that really launched that product into the stratosphere. You know, before we knew it, we were, you know, selling like a thousand articles a month and it was going really, really well. And that's when we realized, hey, why don't we start offering other services that, that sort of supplement that? So we started offering the PBN builds themselves. And that's how we then founded our brand PBN Butler, which recently only has been uh, rebranded into SEO Butler. You know, over time, we 
we were then able to sort of form this brand that was based on excellent customer service, which was something that was really missing in this industry. You know, everybody could get good products, but the the, the suppliers would be unreliable or they wouldn't reply to messages or they you know, wouldn't deal with issues in the right way. And so we said, well, you know, if that's what people are looking for, then let us, you know, put some real focus onto customer support. And by doing so, we actually invested next to nothing into marketing because all of our customers would market the brand for us. And yeah, so over time, it just it just grew and grew and grew. And we um, we started investing into infrastructure as far as teams, etc. But I think I'm going uh, going off the rails a little bit. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, everything you're saying is le- legit, and it's part of you know it was part of the process. You listen to the market, you you offered what people were asking for and looking for in that market. I personally started off as a freelance writer, and I used to manage outsource writers, and then I got into quite similar. You know, started SEO kind of coincides with content. You, you can't do one without the other, really. You know, and. I started doing a link. So I would find those expired domains. I used to actually, you know, be contracted. So I had a person who used to buy them off me. And, uh, you know, I charge them like two, three hundred euro per domain that I found. And I had to meet certain metrics. So similar in that, you know, I listened to the market. I found what people wanted. And, you know, it was content, which is always a commodity that people need. Good quality content. Anybody who's looking to get into the digital nomad, you know, world or start out as freelancer, by all means, there's there's always a need for reliable people to do content, but also, like you're saying, at scale, like with, with regards SEO agencies. And, you know, in episode one, me and Carlo definitely talked about this, where one of his tactics right at the start was literally just Google all the SEO and marketing agencies in the UK and send them emails and be like, hey, I'm a freelance writer. Do you need some do you need some writing work done? Here's my portfolio. And that's where we got his first clients, right. you know, so going instead of trying to go directly to the business you're going to if you will the service provider who already has the business but who needs help yep i feel like you know you hit on a lot of very important points there and you know one unique one is that this all grew out of facebook groups this you know there was no no running ads no building your agency doing ppc and all this sort of stuff it literally built out of joining groups listening to what people needed finding a solution to that problem and then, you know, offering it and, you know, optimizing and refining it as you went along. Everything that you said wasn't a tangent and it was a perfect, it was, it was, it was a perfect, uh, you know, speech, if you will, with regards how you got to where you were. And I feel like there was a lot of very important points. Just, I suppose, to, to dig into it a little bit further, if you were doing these articles at scale and, you know, still, you obviously have to make a margin. Now, I'm not going to ask what the margin is, but were you hiring these people in the Philippines, let's say, on a full-time salary. And based on that, they had to achieve a certain amount of articles per day or per week. Or was it they write an article for X and you charge Y and there's just a bit of a commission in the middle? How did that look with regards uh, outsourcing? So when we first started and when we were still operating under the PBN Butler brand, you know, and when we were doing the, the, the super cheap content, you know, we had to retail to be competitive. We had to retail our SEO content at like four to five dollars, US dollars. And that, of course, you know, doesn't it doesn't leave a lot of margin, it, no matter what way you look at it. I mean, you know, it's, it, most people wouldn't touch a product if it made them four dollars margin, let alone less than that. We, we, we took a couple of different approaches to ensure the quality was there and that, you know, the, the, 
the model was scalable. So the first thing that we discovered was that it was really difficult to actually hire reliable people from, say, the Philippines via the international job boards, because what we found is that those people were people that were ultra aware of the industry and were always chasing the next better paycheck, right? So basically what they would do is they would apply for the job with you, they would make some money. And then while they were making money with you, they would be applying for other jobs on these international job boards that would pay more. And as soon as they got one, they would just disappear. They wouldn't even give you a heads up. The first thing that we did is we hired a manager out in the Philippines full time uh, that we paid a weekly wage to. And her only job was to find and recruit educated English writers. And so the edge that we had was that she would be able to actually place ads in local newspapers and local Filipino job boards. And by doing so, you know, we got English teachers, we got all kinds of people that were really educated and really driven and really dedicated. And so what we did is we actually, we paid the writers on a per article basis because a lot of them would actually have a day job and then write four or five articles in their evening versus, you know, a couple of writers who actually wrote for us full time. Now, on top of that, we then had to pay, obviously, the manager. We had to pay, you know, little costs like the the, the copyscape credits and stuff like that um, in order to, you know, check it for plagiarism. And on top of that, we then also had to pay the American proofreaders. So all in all, the margins were extremely slim. Now, as we started to grow into a bigger brand and we started to add more products, we sort of kept the same model in place, but we started to offer different products and services that would be that, you know, that would still be fair on the on the customer but that would actually have a little bit of a better margin for us. So we started introducing US-based written content, for example, right? And so we, we started recruiting writers in the US and had to build an infrastructure for that. And today we actually have, I want to say, 30 to 35 part-time and full-time writers based in the United States with two full-time editors and a head of content that deliver obnoxious amounts of content every week. In order to do that, we had to find a solution again to find the right kind of writers. One of the things that we really struggled with was that for SEO purposes, the content a lot of the time needs to be very good content, but it doesn't have to be copy level content, if that makes sense. So it doesn't have to be the kind of content that an elitist is going to write that will charge you, you know, a thousand dollars to write a landing page, which they're completely entitled to do. But a lot of the time we were building, uh, writing ridiculous amounts of content for like affiliate review websites that need to have 20, 30, 40,000 words of content. And those website owners are never going to be able to pay a thousand dollars per page. You know, they, they moan around about a hundred dollars per page. They would focus definitely on getting these sites live. And that's where you really came in. You could offer at scale, like, you know, I want to launch this site with, you know, 50 articles on it. Go to, go to your team, get the 50 articles ordered, have them turned around in, in, in a short period of time. And, you know, then they're off to the races and with their new site. Exactly. And so what we did is we actually started working very closely with a couple of universities in the U.S. who have copywriting programs. 
we started um, to sort of institutionalize that program to where we are now actually being recommended as an employer by different universities, and they send us their graduates. At the same time, we're able to provide internships to those that are still in school that are completing their you know, bachelor's or master's degrees. And so we, we actually help shape their future by being able to give them a lot of the stuff that they are not going to be learning in college or in school, but, you know, the, the real world stuff, so to speak. So, you know, we've got some of our best writers out of these, these kind of partnerships who, you know, have finished their school two years ago, but are still working with us full time as a writer and who are providing an excellent service. But it, a lot of work goes into it. We, by now, we have a complete training website for our writers that literally just has everything about how to write content for SEO purposes, basically. So it has everything from like, uh, what should a buyer's guide look like? What is keyword, you know, what does a keyword density mean? And how do you, you know, how do you uh, compensate for it? Blah, blah, blah. And all of these kind of tools we've built over time in order to uh, institutionalize what we're trying to do rather than doing it uh, fresh every single time that we that we bring somebody on board. And I think that's something that's really given us the edge uh, to be able to scale because we now have the SOPs, we have the tools. And so when somebody new comes on, every person in the supply chain knows exactly what they have to do to help that person get started. Yeah, it's the one-to-many approach where you do those videos once, you do those train them once, and it doesn't matter, like you're saying, if it's one new writer or 10 new writers, you train them up, you have the training system in place, so you're not expecting them to know everything what to do. You have your own process for how you would like them to do, let's say, you know, a, a listicle article or a review article or a how-to article, which are all very common with regards to the affiliate SEO side of things. Those are the sort of articles that people will be ordering. Like you're saying, it's great that you have a system in place and I'm sure there's probably writers who are better suited to specific topics and niches and you're aware of who go- who goes, you know, which article goes to which writer and things like that. So exactly, it's really important. And I suppose that's a good lead into discussing the tools that you would use. So from a, you know, from a project management perspective, you, you've named you know, multiple businesses, you've got multiple offices, there's lots of different people. Now, you did hit the nail on the head when you said the first thing you did in the Philippines was hire essentially a project manager. Is that the model that you approached with each area that you move into? Or, you know, do you hire a manager and then give them the tools and the resources to go about building their own team? Or is that something that you personally would be very involved in with regards to hiring and then, you know, refining the processes? How does that look? So as a as a fundamental rule for us as a business, it's all about the people. You know, the, the, it's sort of pretty much the answer to everything. You know, we we uh, we focus all of our efforts on the people that are as part of the business and what we can do to enable them to do better and be, uh, you know, live a happy life and you know succeed and be productive and efficient for the business as well. But what we found over time is that. The more we invest into the people, the more they invest into the business. As far as tools are concerned, you know, we, we kind of do a vast amount of things, so it's quite diversified. But the the main focus for us is um, we do a lot using Google Sheets. We use Skype as well as um, Slack. We um, we use Trello a lot. Um, for sort of building pipelines and, and fleshing out ideas. 
Um, we use the Google Doc Suite extensively, but we're actually in the process of building our own complete backend, so our own sort of intranet. And that's just because what we found is that over the, the sort of three and a half years that we've been going, we actually have developed out a ton of individual processes for every product and service that we fulfill that have become relatively disjointed by not being joined up, right? So, you know, we have a process for the content team and we have a process for the citations team and we have a process for the, uh, you know, the, the, the SEO agency, etc. But these are all individual processes. And so what we're doing right now is we're actually working on a complete internal infrastructure that brings all of these processes together into one sort of magical suite, if you will, that basically, you know, just runs the whole business and is at the core of it. We, you know, we really use a huge amount of different tools but we're, we're sort of condensing it down as much as we can. So as you were going through these growing pains, was there things that, you know, you would, looking back in hindsight, you feel that would be good advice or good learning mistakes that you would feel that other people shouldn't make or you would like to try and help them mitigate? So as you were growing, as you were scaling, you're hiring new people, you know, did you really focus on creating these standard operating procedures at that time? Or did you kind of, you know, let it get busy and then, realize that you had to create the SOPs? How did that process look from your end? So, you know, for anybody that really wants to grow a business of, of any type, really, this isn't really just restricted to the IM space. But my, you know, for me, the biggest learning curve was really the the business side of the business. I, I believe that it's actually very easy to make money in today's day and age. You know, like you said right at the beginning when we started our conversation that, you know, there are always writers needed. And you could start today, and if your English is pretty good or your native language, if you're German, you know, and you can write fluent German, you could go into Facebook groups or you could email businesses and you could get in touch with them and you could get work probably today. But what nobody really talks about that much is the business side of it. And I think, you know, for me, the, the biggest growing pains and the, the, the thing that really enabled us to scale was understanding what we're really good at and what we're not good at. And so what my advice is, is if you start a business, make sure you do it right. And if you have a partner, get all your paperwork in place. So in the UK, if you have a limited company and you have multiple directors, make sure you have your shareholder agreements in place, etc. Because, you know, three years in, I faced myself with my business partner wanting to exit the business and me having to basically face the music because we started off as very, very good friends. And on what we thought was just, just a small project, we never put that sort of paperwork in place. And now I had to pay the price for it, right? Because you're, you're negotiating from a point of weakness if you haven't got uh, these kind of documents in place and you end up having to pay to basically put them in place. So it's well worth investing, you know, the, the grand or whatever you'll pay a lawyer to put all these documents in place when you start. The other thing that I think has always helped us as a growing business and an aggressively growing business, you know, we've at least doubled every single year that we've been in business is from day one, we've had a bookkeeper on retainer. And that meant that at any given time, we have the money to pay our taxes. We know how much we have to pay for our personal taxes. You know, we know all of these contributions 
that is something that cripples a lot of businesses that suddenly start to make a lot of money. They're not aware of what it actually takes to run a business. And then a year later, they get hit with, you know, a 20,000 pound or dollar tax bill, and they don't have that money. And all of a sudden, they go under and they fold or they file for bankruptcy, etc. So, you know, for me, I think that it's very important to be very honest with yourself and super self aware of what your strengths are. And rather than saying, you know, hey, I can probably do this bookkeeping stuff, you have to sort of understand that your time is too valuable to start picking up traits that that aren't efficient. So rather than investing all this time into learning how to do bookkeeping, it'd probably be cheaper to pay the 200 bucks to a bookkeeper on retainer and you focus on what you're good at, which might be sales or the marketing or roofing or whatever it is that you know you do. I think it's very important what you're talking about there with regards, you know, first of all, building a solid foundation for your company. I know a lot of people who are listening may be just freelancers. And I mean, it depends on where you are. I know people who don't stay in any country long enough to be liable for taxes in any country and they just bounce around the world and that's great and that's what they can do. But a lot of people will set up as a sole trader or as a limited company so that they have the security. As a limited company, you have more security because the business is liable for any debts or or any, you know, lawsuits or anything that would be that could potentially you know, <laughs> without going into the negative, like, you know, potentially if somebody did try and sue you or whatever at least if you have a company you're secure and they're not coming after your personal assets and you know i do believe it's important with regards to bookkeeper too i personally didn't pay too much attention to that my first two years and i got stung with a big tax bill that i wasn't expecting and you know i wasn't doing anything wrong i was just reinvesting back into the business you know i was getting you know making loads of money but like i was pumping all that money back in but i wasn't taking out the money for the taxes yeah i just got hit with a big ass bill that i wasn't expecting and then it was you know it was stressful because <laughs> you're like oh where the hell am i going to get thousands of euros out of like i wasn't expecting that at all because you know you pay your vat but then you also have to pay your income tax you know so you so you have to pay it a percentage on the profits of the business. And yeah. but look, this also comes into where having a good bookkeeper can help because I, I know a couple of people who mitigate this by as it's coming up to the end of the tax year, what they do is they will maybe buy a website or they'll do something to offset the, you know, the, the bill, if you will. But I mean, it's not for everybody and you're not going to dump all your profits, if you will, into a website. But I do know there's means and ways to keep above it um, or, or, or to reinvest your money without giving it all away. But it is very important, as you're saying, you know, these are your basics of business. You know, whether you're doing, you know, whether you're a roofer or a plumber or an SEO service provider or a restaurant, doesn't matter. You know, you need to have solid foundation in place. You got to make sure that your, you know, your books are in order and that there's somebody tracking or you're using a software or a tool to try and make things easier. You know, I've used Fresh Books, I think it's called. Uh, in in the past, some people use QuickBooks. They're all the same, and most of them will tie in. You know, if you have an online shopping cart like you do on your website, I would imagine. I'm only assuming here, but that you know, it ties into an accounting software and it pulls it pulls all the sales in and absolutely. You know, the sums in the VAT, and you know, then it's it's easier for your bookkeeper because they can just log in and see all of the sales, and you know, you add in your costs and everything else there. So. It's very important. And as you're saying, it's not the sort of, it's not, it's not glamorous. You know, it's not sitting on a beach with a Mai Tai in your laptop. It's like real world. This is what actual business people have to deal with. And so it's very, it's important to talk about it, you know? And the thing is, this is the, this is the exact thing, you know, nobody's talking about it because the, the reality is these are the things that will sink a business, right? It doesn't matter 
if you're a, a sole trader or you're a, a limited company or if you're just sort of freestyling it, if you suddenly figure out that you owe somebody a ton of money, that's what's going to cripple you. And vice versa, you know, what I was saying about making sure your agreements are in place, things usually end up going bad when they're going best, right? So you're probably not going to have you know, if you just start a business with your mate and it sinks, then it's probably just, you know, you're going to, you're going to say, okay, let's close that business. But the the time that you will start having disputes is usually when it starts going really well. And, you know, your business is making a couple of hundred thousand euros or a couple of million euros or what, or dollars or whatever. That's when you really want to make sure that you have your paperwork in place. You know, the, the sad thing is that loads of people, especially in the IM space, We'll just sort of wave that away and just sort of say, oh, you know, you can worry about that later. Let's, you know, let's hustle and grind and make some money. But the reality is that that's, you know, it's, it's really awful advice because it is super important and it is vital if you want to build a large, sustainable, long-term business. Um, and of course, you know, if you're, if you're a freelancer and you do some online writing and you just want to travel and have a good time and make some money on the side, that's that's cool and that's fine. But if you want to build a large sustainable business that will make you money while you're awake, while you're asleep, uh, etc., you know, do yourself a favor and get some advice and make sure that you're clued up. I certainly agree with that. And I, I, you know, when I started out, it was very much just getting paid into PayPal from, you know, whoever I was working with. But then as things progressed, like you're saying, you know, I suppose there comes a point where you're either going to do it or you're not. And you know, I decided then to go ahead and do the sole trader and then switch to limited company. So, I mean, I've been through the process of, you know, having nothing, doing the sole trader, then doing the company. So that's been my own personal evolution. And I, I'll stick to that. I'm, you know, I have a company registered in Ireland and that's how I'm approaching this. You have yours in the United Kingdom and probably in the United States as well. Yeah. With all of their lovely confusing taxes, I wouldn't even want to get into talking about that. I, I know it from from e-commerce, you know, and I suppose just this leads in nicely into something that we, you know, we, we had a wee brief chat before the call, we catch up. You, you spoke, you spoke about something that really makes sense, and it is, it's another thing that can can cripple a freelancer, if you will, and that is, you know, there's there's a point where for lots of people that they might evolve out of just offering, you know, like freelance services to wee small businesses, and and they step into it you know, the corporate world, if you will, or a bigger clients who maybe you're doing stuff on higher retainers, 10, 20, 30 grand a month or 100K a year contracts. And you know, they don't pay you weekly. These guys don't give you the money right away. And you might have to provide a lot of work up front, you know, for a delayed payment down the line. So can you hit on that topic? I suppose you were, you, I felt like you were offering some great advice at the start and I, I didn't record. So your thoughts on that? So basically, you know, what, what we were talking about, which you've just recapped so beautifully, is, is the fact that a lot of people don't realize that as you grow into the more corporate side of, you know, providing online services or any services for that matter, you will be at the mercy of the companies you're dealing with. And the reality is that, you know, if you're dealing with these larger retainers and these larger projects, the reality is nobody pays up front, you know, and if, if you do, then hold them close because you found a gem. But the reality is that most of these corporate companies, 
will pay on net 30 terms or net 45 or net 60, meaning that after the work is completed, you issue an invoice and they will pay you after 30 days. And most of the time they miss that and you have to send a reminder and then they'll you know, take another week to pay you. So if you just think about that, you know, if you were, say, an SEO agency, you would provide SEO services for a month, issue an invoice, then provide another month's worth of SEO services and then get paid for the first month. And so what ends up crippling a lot of businesses is that as they grow, they start having more and more of these large retainers that are taking ages to come in. And if you are not aware of managing your cash flow smartly and having maybe a couple of those smaller projects or a couple of passive income projects going to keep your cash flow going, then you could quite easily be crippled by being a profitable business, but just not getting any cash in. That is something that a lot of people are are not really paying attention to. You know, I'm speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs on a daily basis who have these these sort of aches of having, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 outstanding to them. Technically, on paper, they're profitable as anything, but all their overheads are being taken out on a monthly basis, and they're just not getting the cash in as quickly as it's going out. And so what's really important is to make sure that while you're looking at your expense sheet and you're looking at your cash flow is to make sure that you get in the revenue streams that are reliable. So even if you get that, you know, if your expenses are $5,000 a month, if you can cover that by having some passive income or having a couple of smaller, you know, $1,000 a month clients, then that will be your safety net for the day that that $10,000 a month client doesn't pay on time. And, and that's, you know, that's massive. And it, it, it really will make you a lot happier as an entrepreneur if you can sleep well at night knowing that, yes, it's frustrating that they haven't paid you yet, but it's not going to sink you. It's definitely something that would worry you. And like you're saying, cause, uh, well, look, you know, maybe cause some lack of sleep. I think it's very important. You hit on two very important points there. And you know, one is definitely that multiple streams of income is, 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 um, is important as anything, as a freelancer, as a, as a business owner, and even as an employee, you know, like if, if you lose your job and then you've got no money coming in, you're screwed. It's the same if you're a freelancer and you're relying on one or two clients and one of them, maybe nothing to do with you, but it goes out of business. Uh, for instance, when I came back from Thailand, I had a SEO or SEO and content business and it was two Google updates, one in December, one in January, I believe it was Penguin. And I lost all of my clients for content because all of their sites had been hit. So I had all these people on recurring monthly contracts. It was only like four or five, you know, but it was like recurring content for all their PBNs. Their PBNs got hit. They were like, oh, we don't need the content anymore. And just like that overnight, everything just evaporated. And it was like, I was on the back foot. It's not a good position to be in because what happens then is two things happen really. One is you become a little bit desperate in that you'll do work for prices that you wouldn't normally do it for. And also you'll probably do work that's outside of what might be your normal remit of work. You know, so I, I mean, I'll be honest, I became a bit of a jack of all trades. I was offering SEO. I could do web design. I could do Facebook ads, you know, so I was, I was kind of leaning on pulling from whatever skills I had to, at the end of the day, put food on the table and provide for my child. You know, that was the situation I was in. And since that, it's very important for me now to not re- have just one source of income. Like, so that if 
something does happen. So I suppose disclaimer, at the moment, I actually work for Shopify Plus. I'm an e-commerce consultant. So I am employed as a remote employee, but I also have affiliate websites. I also have a bit of a YouTube thing going on and I have a small agency doing local SEO and web design. I have a couple of different things. So, you know, God forbid Shopify sack me tomorrow, I wouldn't be completely out of pocket, you know? So that's, I think that's very important for people to, to realize. And in the context of what you're talking about here with regards having these big clients, this is so common in construction. And it's like one of the number one reasons construction and build, building companies go out of business as well, especially in Ireland and in the UK too, where take on these big projects, they do it, they're not getting paid for another six months, but they've got another project that they need to do like right now, but they can't, you know, you still got to pay the subcontractors, you got to buy all the materials and all the tools, like it's the exact same scenario. So once again, this is, this is just business, you know, it's like, this is how business works in, in, you know, whether it's online doing SEO stuff or whether it's construction job like it's it's very similar the traits are the same you know and it's very important to manage manage your money create those multiple streams of income where possible and you know like you're saying both have your taxes in order but also try to build a buffer so that you can deliver on these uh, on on these longer term projects you know yeah no a hundred percent and you know this is especially important for the, the the younger listeners just have to be realistic about the fact that they're probably never going to get a decent pension or anything. So, you know, the same thing that applies to running your business should apply to running your lifestyle. You know, one of the things that was very realistic for me from, you know, a very early age was that I knew I was never going to be able to rely on an inheritance or a uh, or a pension of that uh, that sort of sort. So I always knew that my goal would be to invest into properties that would essentially pay me through people paying rent, a form of a pension. And, um, you know, that's something that I just know. And, and, you know, now that I'm married, my wife knows, and it's our common goal to acquire properties and set them up for, you know, rental contracts, because we know one day we, A, might not want to work anymore, or B, we might not be able to for whatever reason. And it will be really good to have that passive income set up while, we are able to do multiple things now to, you know, get closer to those goals. So, you know, it really applies to your business and your personal life. Yeah, I'm definitely coming from a similar position, you know, like I'm from a you know normal family. I don't have any, nothing's being handed to me. There's no assets, there's no land, there's no houses, you know, it's just normal guy, divorced parents. It's, you know, it, it, it's all like just a normal life. I'm a normal person. And just like that, I'm focused on trying to, you know, build some multiple streams, income, things that can be recurrent as well in nature. Property is one way of going about it. Websites is a whole other one, you know, and absolutely. by all means, I consider, you know, having websites as assets. I know, I suppose, look, you, you'd be similar to me in that we talk with people who are in this space and it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, somebody who does some so many of some things, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's like, I know guys who rent out who rank and rent local SEO websites for a thousand quid a month and they've got 25 of them rented out and they're making yep. 25k recurring every month and they're singing it. Other lads who are doing affiliate SEO, who are doing Amazon stuff, doing 10, 20 grand a month, you know, other people who run agencies and just do it really well and, you know, have good outsource team. Like, I suppose we're coming from this where you just, you see lots of different people doing lots of different things. You know, you feel like if you put your head down and, and commit and invest and focus in on some of these over a period of time that hopefully, 
you know, something will work out, you know, but like, it's, it's not all luck. It's, you know, luck is uh, intelligence, having fun. You know? Without a doubt. And Adam, I think, you know, I really, I think it's an unpopular statement to make, but I, I think that making money is probably the easiest part. The hardest part is finding the people to make it with you. That's an interesting concept. I'm sure plenty of people <laughs> might, might challenge you on it, but you've got good business. You, like you've got good business acumen. I think that's where a lot of people fail. You might be a good web designer. You might be a good graphic designer, you know, or, or SEO, but maybe you don't have that. Like you've got that confidence, that ability to pick up the phone, call people, you know, reach out. And maybe some people need to build that, that they don't naturally have that confidence when it comes to sales, essentially, is what it is. You're selling yourself, you're selling your service. So, uh, you know, would you have any tips for people who are in that kind of a position who maybe they want to, they're trying to build their confidence, they're trying to reach out more. Have you any advice for people who are in that sort of a situation? You know, I think that you've already mentioned a, a great way of doing it earlier, which is that if you're not the kind of person that, you know, if you're, for example, an, a highly skilled creative, but you struggle to deal with individual people, then maybe your role should be to reach out to agencies and see how you can supply them with your services for their clients, because you would be dealing with one or two account managers who then manage 30, 40 clients, meaning that you can maximize your profit or your workload from you know this one stream of of work and as you then build up your portfolio and your your courage and your experience you can you know you can then start working directly with with clients i think that the other thing there that's super important is that again self-awareness there are plenty of people out there who should not be in charge of a business it's just as simple as that you know that there are people who should be a number two or number three or number five in a business and who would do 10 times better at that. And that self-awareness is super important because you can try and struggle to build your own business for years, but then you find out that, you know, actually the one thing that keeps holding you back is that you really suck at sales or you really suck at dealing with people, uh, you know, from a support kind of role. And you then have two options. You can either hire somebody to do that for you if you have the budget or you partner with somebody who can take that role on. And that's really important. People keep trying to be the jack of all trades um, you know, doing everything in the business. And the reality is that it's a really under-optimized way of running your business. Like the reality is you're not good at everything. Nobody is. And once you're okay with that and you realize that, you can bring in the people to help you and supplement those things that you're not good at. And all of a sudden you'll find that your business blossoms and, you know, you're 10 times more successful and you get to do the stuff that you enjoy and that you're good at. I agree with all of that 100%. Even with regards to this podcast, when I well, I suppose I, I delayed on launching it because I, I tried, I, you know, installed Audacity. I was trying to figure out how to edit audio and, I, you know, and then I just closed it all down. I was like, screw this. It was frustrating me, you know, it was getting annoying. And then I was like, do you know what? If this is going to happen and if this is going to be done right, it has to be outsourced. And I have somebody, uh, he's a guy actually from Ireland called Colm. I found him on Upwork of all places and he lives like an hour up the road from me. Um and I just posted for a podcast editor and every episode now just gets dropped into Dropbox. He goes away, does everything, edits all the sound, you know, links it up to the RSS feed. Like that was the only way that this was going to work. And even for the show notes, I was like, because, you know, I have, you know, a full time contract. I have my own business on the site. I do not have time to be editing audio. You know, I really don't. But it's something that I want to be doing. So, uh, you know, that's that self-awareness thing. Like I am aware that I have limited time. 
because, you know, I have a lot going on and a child and, you know, I, I just not getting involved in things, even Photoshop. I always said I'll never download Photoshop because it's a rabbit hole and I'll go into it and I'll never come out. <laughs> so yeah. I personally stay away from Photoshop because I'd end up spending days in there, you know, trying to figure it all out and learn it all when you're just better off sometimes just finding that person who's already done all that work. They've learned the skills, they've acquired it and they've, yeah, you know, they're, they're somewhat skilled and professional at what they're doing. Um, just with regards, I'd like to circle back as I suppose we're both involved in SEO. I just kind of wanted to mention it. SEO is it's one of these topics that has been, you know, it's got a bit of a, a sleazy element to it sometimes. And there's definitely in these groups and things, you see a lot of what I would say poor operators and, and, and bad players, you know, just people who are spammy and you know, even business owners, when you're approaching them, a lot of them have had all these emails and, you know, I'll oh, get your site number one in 10 days. You, you know, like they get these emails every other day from all these. They're not they're not delivering services to the level that, uh, you know, let's say you or I or, you know, some of the people you work with will be delivering. You know, they've, they've painted a bad picture of it. Um, you know, so how would you say that you've have you come up against that challenge and how have you helped to, uh, you know, mitigate it? Honestly, you know, we we have, but one of the things that made a huge difference for us is that we stopped going after um, small business owners. So the way that we did that is we, we, we launched something called the Agency Partnership Program, in which we partner with salespeople and agencies to do all of their SEO fulfillment on a white-labeled basis. So that basically quenches our thirst for the small to medium clients, right? Because all of these guys go after the, you know, 500 euro a month type clients, and we then just do the fulfillment on the back end. As an agency, we really just go after the direct large corporate deals. And there we don't really get that, um, that sort of pushback just based on the fact that these guys have in-house marketing teams. They know what they're looking for. They are educated on the subject matter to a point. You know, I'm not saying that they actually know the stuff that we know or they do it themselves, but they know about it. It's, it's for us, a lot of it is about the proposal as well. When we go after these kind of larger proposals, we might send them a 15 page proposal. It, you know, we might tie into their website for a whole month just to analyze the the traffic that they're getting and you know their rankings and what their site how their site is optimized because you don't just get you know a 5000 or 10000 a month retainer by sending you know a five slide pdf uh saying hey we'll do seo for you give me 5 grand <laughs> I'll send you a free video report on your SEO. Exactly. I get what you're saying. I suppose, you know, in hindsight, when you started talking there, I was coming at that from, yeah, from, I suppose, those, the, the smaller scale side of things, the, the lower end, you know, 500 to 1,000 a month sort of clients. And, you know, you address that right. Like the bigger people and the bigger clients, they know the value of SEO and they know how to invest in it. And, you know, most of them will have worked with somebody in the past. So, you know, they're, they're, they're really shopping around and seeing who can provide the better service, who can bring the results. And to get those sort of people, like you're saying, you know, you need to provide effort, uh, far more effort in those proposals and, you know, spend some time getting into the, the nitty gritty, you know, get Screaming Frog, get SAM Rush, get Ahrefs, get them all loaded up and do some analysis and, you know, send over some recommendations essentially. And then, they're like, oh, yeah, those are the things that we want to do. And you're, you can put your team to work. For sure. And with the smaller clients, you know, the, when, when you're going after those, I think there are two elements that are very important. The first one is 
to not undersell yourself. Um, you mentioned earlier that you know you, you said that people get desperate when you know they start running out of money, and this is the problem, especially in our field, where they just are so desperate to get a new SEO client. So a client that should be paying eight hundred bucks a month, they will sell it for three hundred and fifty just to get the sale. And the reality is, we all know that you know you can't provide those services and make a profit at three fifty, and you know like show them positive results. So actually, you're not doing anybody a favor, you know, because you're not making any money. They are not getting any results. So they're going to drop you as a provider within a short amount of time. And the reality also is that most of these customers are not going to be upsold at a later stage. You know, if they don't value it now, they probably won't value it later. So the first thing is to actually, you know, not undersell yourself. It also takes away a huge amount of um, authenticity of your, of your service if you undersell yourself. The, the other thing is to not base your proposals or your pitch on rankings. I see a lot of agencies do this. You know, they, they say, we will rank five keywords for you. No, no entrepreneur, no business owner gives a crap about their rankings or their traffic. There's only one thing that they care about, and that's their bottom line. They need to see that you run an ROI positive campaign. And to put it into even simpler terms, they want to make sure that if they give you a thousand bucks, they make two thousand dollars, right? Like it's as simple as that. When when I steer the conversation in a pitch for you know a smaller client, then I actually talk very little, and I I actually just ask them to explain their business to me and ask them what they want to focus on, and I ask them what makes them the most money, and I also ask them about their experiences with marketing. And what you'll find is that these business owners will literally tell you everything about their business, all the inhibitions that they have about partnering with you. So you can eliminate all of those worries straight away by answering, you know, their, 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 their problems and saying, well, you know, that's great that you've made that experience because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about next. We don't do that. And then focusing on an ROI based campaign. So you know, if you're trying to pitch a dentist and the dentist says, well, you know, one of the main things that we want to focus on is Invisalign, you know, invisible braces. And per customer, we make, I don't know, 800 pounds or euros or dollars profit. Then it's very easy for you to say, well, that's interesting because I was taking a look and, you know, there's, there are a couple of keywords that I'm going to be going after. And I project that you could get at least, you know, five to 10 calls a month for this. So if you just converted one of those, you would already be at break even. Oh, wow, that's great. So essentially, you know, if you look at that from a macro point of view, you're then able to sort of justify that if you only do 10% as well as you plan to do, they are already going to be at break even or at a profit. And so you're, you're, you're basically making it a lot easier for that client to make a decision. I feel an important, an important part of this is that you're actually genuinely trying to deliver, yeah. a, you know, a valuable service. Like most of these small business owners, they want calls and they want customers. That's what they want, especially, you know, generalizing the service-based industries, if you will, you know. Yep. So they want calls. They want customers. That's what's important. That's what drives the bottom line. They want these to come from the internet, and that's where you come in. Now, a lot of SEO agencies and people who do freelance SEO will often turn on the AdWords right away because, like, it's it's all well and good promising something three months down the line, but it, it's a lot better if you can show some return right away. And, you know, I suppose everybody does this differently. Some will upsell the AdWords. Some will 
at the start, maybe they'll take it out of the SEO budget and they'll turn on some AdWords just to get the phone ringing while the SEO, you know, that they're doing has some time to, you know, uh, make some changes really in the rankings and to drive those keywords up through the SERPs. And like, I suppose what you're getting at there is you're genuinely caring about the customer and getting them more more calls and more leads. Like if you can actually deliver them the result and you get them those calls and you get them those those rankings and those turn into more customers, then they've got no reason to get rid of you. You know, you're you're on retainer, you're delivering the results as promised. And you know, I think that's that's what's important out of that. Without a doubt, that's it. You know, making sure that you that you actually provide a, a worthwhile service, you know. It's the end all. I mean, uh, the, the, the thing that's funny about it, too, is the fact that people get super pigeonholed into what they want to offer the, the client. But the reality is, as you just said, the client doesn't care. They don't care if you do SEO, if you do Facebook ads, or if you do, you know, PPC. or you. They don't care if you stood on a street corner with flyers. As long as they make more money because of you, they're happy calls and customers that is literally all that they care about and you have to have i suppose it's important just to add in here you have to have a way of proving uh, you know a way of tracking and measuring this so it is important you know some people use google voips and they'll, they'll have a wee message that plays beforehand you know this call comes from adam or you know there's lots of different ways you, you can go about it but it is important to deliver a result uh, listen to the customer like what their pain points are it's all well and good you coming in all guns blazing SEO, citations, content, link building, blah, blah, blah. It's noise to them. You know, a lot of these people, they run a service, they're a plumber, electrician, a builder, a roofer, whatever it is that they do, dentist, lawyer, doctor. The point is, that's what they do. <laughs> they don't do this. They don't care about the, the technical mumbo jumbo. They don't care, you know, so long as you're being obviously clean cut and you're not doing any damage to their brand, you know, that they they don't care how you go about it with regards getting that phone ringing so long as everything is you know white hat and above the board you know so i think that's what's important for them and you know that allows them to grow their business can i just ask because i feel like this would be an interesting question for you once they go past that initial let's say you've had that client you've had them four or five months you've improved the site you know the ranking for these keywords you know does the conversation ever come up where they're like oh, well, the site's ranked now. Oh, why don't we just stop paying for the SEO because it's already ranked? So how would you approach that that conversation, that situation uh, from your experience? So typically the way that we, um, that we manage the expectations with clients is that as we start achieving the targets that we've set ourselves as far as rankings or whatever, we, we start adding... Um, extra targets, right? So let's say that initially we focus on the low-hanging fruit. So, you know, we're going for the hyper-local terms. We then start targeting the the larger terms as far as SEO is concerned, etc. So basically what we end up doing is we end up working with them to continuously improve what, continuously improve the campaign. So one of the elements there could also be that we suddenly discover that their conversion rate is particularly low. So we say, hey, you know what? This month, since your SEO is going really well, we're going to focus a little bit on conversion rate optimization. So we're going to run a test on one of your landing pages and optimize it to make sure that it actually um, converts at a higher percentage because it's a really easy win, right? If they're already getting traffic to that page and we make a couple of tweaks and then it you know, the conversion rate jumps by 4% or 5% or more, then that's an easy way for them to make more money the next month. So 
you know, we just we we keep reinventing it, and we also aren't afraid that if, for example, it's a super local client that doesn't want any more than what they have, we we're we're not afraid to for us to offer them a maintenance package and say, look, you know what, we'll just cut the price in half, we'll put it on maintenance because it also then takes away a ton of work, and we can focus on the next client, but we have a 500 pound retainer or something coming in every month for doing a minimal amount of work that makes sense that's a good way of approaching it you know the continuous just showing that you're making continuous improvements because it is important and i suppose it does depend really on competitive nature of the business some of the clients you're working with are have you know extensive work to be done it's not like it's three months in and you're done you know it's it's very much ongoing continuous effort there's a lot of focus on outreach and on page and you know there's yeah, link building in itself and doing a white hat and clean cut is is is, is an art and in itself and definitely a service offering that is very much needed and wanted in the world because it's very manual. There's no way of doing it properly in white hat and by the book. You know, if you're not putting in an awful lot of manual work on on somebody's end, you know, somebody's got to do all that outreach and create those infographics and write those articles and <laughs> get those guest posts. So there's a lot of work. get into the quick fire round bit of fun really like to see which tools you use and things like that so i'm going to jump right into it okay so asana or trello trello coffee or tea coffee conquer or fiverr fiverr all day lead pages or click funnels uh lead pages do you like working in hotel lounges or cafes hotel lounges where's your favorite holiday destination oh I'm, I'm just gonna say thailand <laughs> Everyone says Thailand. <laughs> Favorite city to be a digital nomad? Great question. I'm going to switch up. I'm going to say Berlin. Why not? Yeah, that's a really cool city. SEM Rush or AHREFs? Oh, that's tough. I'm going to say AHREFs for the accuracy. Fair enough. I suppose it depends on what you're doing, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. I, I love and use both tools on a daily basis. Yeah, fair enough, same as. So the last book you read? Actually, I just reread um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah, it's brilliant. Mark Manson. Yep. Favorite podcast? Oh, I have to be honest with you. I listen to next to no podcasts. Fair enough. I only listen to two or three myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I find it very tough to focus while I'm listening to them. So I, I, I tend to not do it. It's only when I'm driving I tend to do it a lot because yeah. you can't work and listen to podcasts because you're trying no. to listen to what you're talking about. Exactly. Two blogs two blogs that you follow. I actually really enjoy the Ahrefs blog and I've recently been getting back into Charles Float's blog um, on, what is it, I guess, charlesfloat.co.uk. Yeah, he done a great e-commerce SEO. Both him and Matthew Woodward published very in-depth e-commerce SEO uh, guides like within the same week so i'm wondering is there something happening that i don't know about <laughs> that these two these two big famous you know internet marketers and seo guys launched these big in-depth e-commerce seo guides but i suppose looking at them from the outside looking in it's a great way to get potential clients for your agency exactly you are showing that you know what you're talking about and i feel that maybe that's the angle <laughs> that both of them are oh doing. without i i totally agree with you i also you know a staple that i didn't even think of because it's it's sort of almost like a a household brand at this point is um obviously matt matt diggity's blog which can't yeah. be can't be forgotten I listened to an episode there yesterday of Authority Hacker podcast and they had him on for an episode. It's really, 
I really like that podcast. I think those those guys, Gail and Brett, are uh, you know they're in debt and they're good at what they do. So I that would be yeah. one of the very few that I listen to, and they're very actionable and they're actually doing it. I think that's a big difference too. Is you know they're actually doing it and they're testing things and. They're not, yeah. they're not afraid to argue. I like that too, that they all have very different opinions about things. Exactly. It's not like, here's our way of doing it. Just do it this way. It's, you know, I don't know. Come on, let's talk Let's talk it out. And, you know, there's not one way, just like with this, with, with building an agency, with doing SEO, with offering services or content, there's not one way of doing it. Everybody does it their own way. And, you know, I suppose it's just about being consistent and sticking at it. <laughs> all right. And final question, Mac or Windows? Windows all day. <laughs> SEOs usually tend to prefer Windows. Custom build probably. <laughs> There's a huge divide in our in our business because um, all the creatives use Macs and everybody else uses Windows, and we constantly rag on each other. Um, so it's it's a hot topic in our office all the time. Yeah, I think some people either either love the Mac or you hate it. I love it, but it is frustrating when it comes to sometimes you uh, doing SEO tools, but more of them now are cloud-based, so it's not as bad. There was a time where you had to download everything and I had to have Windows to run and having a Mac just didn't work, but uh, I don't know. Each to their own. So look... Let's, you know, round this up. I feel like this was a great interview. We hit on so many different topics with regards, you know, business development, about building teams, about managing these teams, you know, and also about, you know, things like knowing yourself, really, and knowing what went outsource and when to, you know, focus on your strengths. So if you were to look back now with all of the experience that you have, you know, can you offer any advice or, or tips even for, you know, just people who are back at square one? Like, let's say you have no clients, you have no work, you're, you're super interested in getting involved in creating a business that is, you know, that allows you to work from anywhere. I personally, just to drop it in, I, like the digital nomad lifestyle, like the internet marketing has ruined it uh, by all these pictures of people on beaches with laptops. It, it's not, it's not all about that. You know, you're, you're in Brighton today, you know, and you are very much a digital nomad by any means. You could fly away tomorrow and work wherever you want. I'm in Ireland. You know, we both know people who run businesses from Ireland, UK, America, Australia, and you know they're not in Bali in some beach hut, <laughs> you know, putting stuff on Instagram. They're running businesses from real places. So yeah, I just like to gain that context once again for the younger listeners because it's not all about that, you know, what you see online. So you know, so looking back, what what would be your advice? I suppose if you were back there and you were looking to get involved, I think the the biggest piece of advice is to not overthink. The, the whole process. Um, the most important thing is to get started. Um, you know, you don't have to be an expert to get started. Um, a lot of a lot of your um, experience will come with practice. And so, you know, I see too many people getting stuck in sort of analysis paralysis of um, trying to just constantly learn and they keep buying courses and they keep consuming content but they don't actually start and the reality is you can start today and if you're serious about doing something in this industry then start today and you know there are no excuses and if you have a day job then you have plenty of time you have plenty of time in the mornings and in the evenings it might just mean that you have to wake up a little bit earlier not watch netflix for five hours you know so just get started and uh you know drop your excuses 
Yeah, excuses are like arseholes. Everyone's got one, but nobody wants to see yours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody wants to hear yours. So, sorry, I read that somewhere recently and I thought it was the funniest <laughs> quote ever. I was like, that is excuses in a nutshell. And That's amazing. I think what you're saying is important and it's definitely, it's beneficial for people to hear because you can get stuck in analysis paralysis. You're not going to know SEO in a night. You're not going to become a fully competent web developer in, in, in a day. But, you know, it is important to just, just move the needle and do the next thing that's in front of you and stop, you know, and I, I would also say, you know, don't look at where other people are after years of effort and, you know, be trying to compare yourself because, you know, they got there because, you know, it, it, it was a process and it took a lot of time and it took a lot of energy and effort. And you're not just going to, you're not just going to get to where they're at by, you know, tomorrow, essentially, you know, but <laughs> I think that's, that's important too. So thank you very much. Uh, do you want to let, let, let people know where they can find you? Sure. I mean, um, you're more than welcome to come and visit us at seobutler.com anytime and uh, shoot me a message about just about anything. I'm always happy for a chat. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Adam, for having me. Perfect. Thank you for coming on. It's, it's been great. And you have a wealth of knowledge and experience. And I hope that the listeners found it useful. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. I hope that you found this inspiring, actionable and full of knowledge. For those of you who are looking to set out and create your own business, and also those who have a business and are looking to scale it, Jonathan brings a wealth of experience from his multiple service offerings and his experience building teams is second to none. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you share, download, give us a rating on iTunes, do all that good stuff so that we can reach more entrepreneurs and digital nomads around the world. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.